Amen, how beautiful that was, how enjoyable this service has been to me so far. Just beautiful music. Brother Brian, appreciate that very much. Choir, it's so good to be with you, and I know you're suffering in your heart just a little bit and disappointed that Brother John's not here. Uh, he is such a good, good pastor, and uh, we're so glad to be with you. I asked, uh, as they asked me to preach and share today, I prayed earnestly and sought this message here on the pull of the people. Let's read that scripture together, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know it as what? The Great Commission. And let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you loved us. Thank you that you reach out to us in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided a, a way into salvation. And we thank you that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, for these folks who have come this morning to your house. Thank you for this music. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless this message and bless your servant as I seek to deliver that word you gave to me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as uh, Brother Wayne has said, uh, uh, he and I have uh, been good friends. I think um, he did tell me, uh, reminded me that about 20 years ago we crossed paths. I knew we had crossed paths in uh, Georgia when we were both serving over there. And uh, some, some time ago uh, we got reacquainted here in Houston. And I have been uh, serving over at Houston's First Baptist Church now for 11 years here in just a couple of months. And uh, God's uh, doing a great work there. But as I got to meet Brother John, who has been with you for now uh, approximately three years. And he has a great heart for the Word and loves Sunday school, loves that ministry. And so we've been having on-again, off-again conversations and just discussions and time over lunches. And in fact, some of you may have come, I think the last two years, uh, a group of your leaders have come to our annual training for our uh, Life Bible Study, we call Sunday School Life Bible Study, uh, the, um, at uh, Houston's First. So if you've been over there, I'm glad you've made it and hope you'll come back again. But uh, John asked me to come and just share my heart, some of my heart and some of my experiences about Bible study and, and the impact it's had in our ministry. I've been serving the Lord as a minister of education now for 45 plus years. And uh, God has blessed me, as, as John uh, said in his little video, which I deeply appreciated him doing. Um, I've served all size churches. Sometimes I worry when I come and speak to a church from First Houston uh, that everybody clicks and says, well, that doesn't, doesn't apply to us. Listen, let me tell you, I've served churches much smaller than yours. I work with a lot of churches much 
smaller than yours. And this, indeed, is a large church in the Southern Baptist life. The principles, the scriptures, of course, and the principles I'm going to talk about, they work in all size churches, in all size groups, and with all people. So listen to me. Let me share a few things that God has laid on my heart about things. Now, before I get to rolling, I'll always love to tell a good uh, Texas story. You know, I grew up in Tennessee. I tell folks all the time that uh, us volunteers from uh, Tennessee are still coming out here to try to help Texans. And uh, we, um, I heard this years ago. It was one of my favorite Favorite stories, you may have heard it, but uh, did you really realize that George Washington uh, actually was a Texan? And he grew up in Texas, and his father uh, had this favorite cactus bush that he was very, very proud of. And uh, one day he come home from the range, and the cactus bush was cut down. And so he uh, didn't say a word. He just, just uh, got the family together. And he said, um, okay, who cut the cactus bush down? And so uh, George said, well, Father, I cannot tell a lie. I cut the cactus bush down. And Father didn't say anything else. Just told his wife, let's gather up our stuff. They put all their stuff in their wagon, and they moved to Virginia. Didn't talk to George all the way. And uh, it was just killing George. And George went to him finally and said, Daddy, I don't understand. Why did we have to leave Texas? And his father put his hand on George's shoulder and he said, Son, you just don't understand. If you can't tell a lie, you can't be a Texan. <laughs> I tell you, we Texans, and I say we Texans. I got, I got out here in um, the sixth grade. My father moved to uh, Irving, Texas to do some work. Uh, he was in road construction and all as they were building a lot of that expressway around Dallas and everything. And uh, I, in the sixth grade, I, I was out here for about a year and a half, and then we moved back to Tennessee. And uh, I wanted to get back out here all of my life. I've been looking for one of those bumper stickers you, say, you see sometimes that says, not a native Texan, but I got here as quick as I could. So uh, we're grateful for it and for all that God is doing. I want to share with you some, some serious thoughts for a few moments, and we will look together uh, about, about the pull of the people. You know, God's Word teaches us uh, many, many things, and much of it emanates around the message of His love for mankind. Because God is a loving God, and He has reached out from Genesis to Revelation to provide a way to restore a right relationship with man. If we look in our world today about us, we can be quite disconcerted. We ought to be uh, burdened in our heart to see everything so rapidly deteriorating. It seems that our uh, Judeo-Christian foundation of our nation is under constant assault. It seems that uh, Christian values and teachings are often scoffed at now openly and publicly. And in fact, in quite a hurtful way. And if we're not careful, folks, uh, PC, political correctness, will shut the lips of Christians from sharing because it's considered hateful to say that there's only one way to heaven. But throughout history, we've seen times when our uh, country has gone through great strife 
and mankind has often felt like surely, surely we are in those end days. And that is good. It is good for us to sort of look and, and observe and, and be, uh, the Lord teaches us to look and be anticipating His return. I'm reminded of uh, Professor uh, at uh, of theology at Southwestern, Dr. Connors, years ago, wrote a book. He said he, in it he talked about how that uh, when the folks were often in open debate and arguing over, are you a premillennialist or postmillennialist or amillennial? What was your theological stance? He was approached by someone. We want to know, Dr. Connor, are you pre-post or all? And he said, Well, I'm a pan. I just think it's all going to pan out the way God wants it to. And uh, I sort of like that. I, b- I believe in that. Vance Havner, a great, great preacher of yesteryear that was an evangelist uh, that God used in a mighty way, uh, often was known for saying, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the scripture says. And Vance Havner would say, and, and my friends, it's not a question of if you'll bow. It's a question of when you'll bow. And so many, many churches are are looking for that right strategy in this 21st century. There seems to be a a seeking, a finding out how we can communicate in this uh, electronic and this wired and internet age. But I want to tell you and testify through this message and some of my thoughts that I do not think there is a better tool has been given and proven with well over... 200 years of proof and history to work any more effective than your Sunday school to minister and reach people and uh, fulfill that great commission. So what should a church do? Well, churches are busy, and uh, many of us, I'm I'm reminded of uh, many churches, there's so much activity going on, but they're a lot like those uh, rockers up there in, in front of a Cracker Barrel. Some of you go up to one of those every once in a while. We'd love to go with those. See, I go a little bit too much. But uh, those rocking chairs are all busy. You go up there today on Sunday, and there'll be all kind of motion. The only problem is they're not going anywhere. They're sitting still. And many of our churches are that way. There's all kind of motion going on. But you have to ask, where is that burdened heart? Where is that burdened heart for people? How is it coming out? And we see that uh, our churches are losing some of their impact in their community and they're not making the difference that they should our response as a people of God ought to be to look at our world not just get angry not just get mad but to have a broken heart just as God has just as Christ has for our for our our world and the lostness and we ought to be concerned for men and women and have a burden to reach out to them it really needs to weigh on our hearts. I've often thought about, you know, if our churches had a burdened heart, what would be different about them? Well, I think one thing that'd be different is that outreach and evangelism would be a priority in our churches. Outreach and evangelism, reaching out to touch people, minister to people, and uh, get people together to go share the gospel. If you uh, call a night of visitation in most churches and in our areas and across the country today, uh, it's the smallest crowd you'll call. And uh, many of them have just ceased to do that. I've struggled even at Houston's first to, to find the right formula because we're spread so far, and yet uh, we continue 
to strive to have those pockets, those groups that are being equipped and trained to go and share. Usually, uh, if a church had a burden heart, we would see that uh, it, we wouldn't have to always beg for, for leaders. I've often thought about in my ministry, God put me in, Brother Wayne's in this ministry of, of trying to be that middle person that God, the Holy Spirit, works through as we connect with folks about serving. And it's a very difficult task. But today, it is even more difficult when we start talking about getting next-gen leaders. I approach my adult leaders sometimes over at Houston, and I'll say, Houston first, and I'll say, you know, folks, uh, you, you, you push back on me when I ask you for sending me leaders. And many of them will actually say to me, well, Brother Ben, you're taking, you're taking the best people in my class. And I often think about that, and I, I ask them, well, would you rather send the worst people in your class to work with our children? Well, we need to send our best people. We need to send some folks that love the Lord and love little children. So we need to have that type. What about when we start new classes? Are we excited about starting a new class or opening up a new opportunity to reach people? But usually there's a pushback because we really have lost some of that burden in our heart. Now I'm sure, not, not your church, but I'm just telling you about my church and some of my experiences. We sometimes struggle to begin new classes. Christianity has become a slice of our life in the 21st century. It's one of the things we do. But it ought to be everything that we do. God gave us ways to make a living, and, and we call them our vocation, but that's a blessing from God. It really ought to be that we serve Him first, and then our avocation is how He lets us make a living. I want want you to look at some, some talking points with me as we go along. How did Jesus respond to the world? Well, he responded with compassion. He had compassion. One of my favorite passages in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news to the, of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, you know this, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd and then he said to his disciples the harvest is abundant but the workers are few pray therefore the lord of the harvest that he send laborers into his harvest i want to tell you that that passage of scripture right there brother wayne is what lets me sleep at night it is not our job to find the people we're the instrument that god uses pray that the lord will send people into his harvest. And keep that in mind. It's not our harvest. It's not the church's. It is his harvest. And we're the instruments in his hands. He had compassion. God had, as I mentioned a moment ago in, in my opening remarks, from the book of Genesis to Revelation, is a constant thread of love and compassion uh, of an, a loving God reaching out to provide a a right relationship with mankind. He responded, as we know it so clearly with John 3.16, for God so what? Loved the world. That meant he loved mankind. That he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And Jesus, just as his dad, his father, he had compassion for the people. In Matthew, again, 23, 37, Jesus is standing there and he, you know, on the hillside looking over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and, t- and stones those that are sent to her. How often I would have gathered you, gathered you like children together, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. I tell you, I grew up, I said, over in Tennessee, and all of my relatives, my dad moved to the city. Uh, and uh, so I, I grew up in, in Memphis. And, uh, but all of our, all our in-laws and outlaws were uh, uh, farmers. And so I spent much time in my boyhood uh, on, on a farm. Spent every summer. I just loved going in the summertime. And spending that on the farm. But I can remember when I read this passage of scripture. Especially when a storm's gathering. Seeing those chickens in a, in a, in a barnyard. Running around and that mother hen just doing all she can. To herd those little chicks. And protect them and keep them safe. And it brings such great imagery. Jesus had and has a broken heart for man. And a broken heart because we reject his message. And so... We, the church, the church that he commissioned, our pull of the people, ought to be too to love mankind, to have a burdened heart, not to get so busy and caught up in our world and our lives that we forget that there are people dying, literally dying every day, every minute, every moment that do not know Jesus, do not know him as Savior, and are headed to an eternity in hell. We need to have that consciousness in us. I think it would make a different person out of us. Paul in Romans 9, 1 through 3, gave a a, a passionate message about a burden on his heart. He said, I am telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. What about, Paul? For I wish I could myself be accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, for my kinsmen. Now I want to tell you something. That's a burdened heart. You realize what Paul is, is saying there. I would rather be punished myself. Paul loved people. We ought to love people. We ought to have a burdened heart in our, in our prayers and our consciousness as we go about. Over in Acts 17, 6, one of the passages where Paul and Silas had been preaching throughout the countryside and they get to um, uh, Thessalonica and the people, the temple guards and people in the temple are upset with them and so they send the temple guard out to get them. The Holy Spirit, of course, had w- warned them and they had uh, already escaped. But when they got there, it says in Acts 17 that they gathered up uh, the, the men that were there with them and they drugged them back to the magistrate. And in 17.6 it says, here's the charge they said as they threw them down. These men who have turned our world upside down have come here also. I want to tell you something. Let me ask you in your heart right now. Does, uh, does America need to be turned upside down for God? Do you think Houston needs to be turned upside down for God? How about our, how about our city, Rosenberg here, our community? Does it need to be turned upside down for God? 
your class, your church. Friends, I want to ask you to please, please, make a commitment in your heart to do the work of God day in and day out. Go on and enjoy our lives and the blessings that He has given us. But we need to also be conscious of those about us. Jesus made clear what His purpose was. He said it was to seek and save that which is lost. In Luke 19.10, one of our favorite little Bible stories is talking about how that um, Zacchaeus is up in that tree and he looks up there and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but in that little bitty verse, he has given his earthly purpose. Why did he leave the glories of heaven? Why did he come as a little baby? Why did he suffer and die on a cross? So that he could seek and save that which is lost. And he has passed that same message on to us, that same mission. Our churches today, though, seem to be looking for a strategy to fulfill that mission. The church today struggles to find an effective strategy at all. And it seems that we try this and we try that. We listen to this podcast. We watch what somebody else is doing. And yet there is a strategy that's there in the Bible, a message that God gave us, a tool that He has given us called Sunday School that can fulfill that great commission that we shared just a few moments ago. Let me share another of these talking points for you. Before employing a strategy, though, we must know, understand, and be committed to our purpose. So Jesus' purpose was to seek and save that which is lost. I often ask my leaders, have we come up with a better purpose? Has 21st century church come up with a better purpose than Jesus had? That's why he left heaven. That's why he came. And he gave us a mission and a purpose. Jesus gave us both of those so that we might be able to be faithful in the ministry. There is nothing wrong with um, uh, trying new strategies. There's nothing wrong with getting out of the box. But sometimes, friend, I'll tell you when there's a a tool that works, and it works every time it's tried, every time it's employed, uh, there is nothing wrong with uh, using that tool either. Let me give you another one of those. Jesus gave the church our mission and, and the purpose. So we said the purpose is seek and save. The mission, he said, in several ways. Let me give you a couple of verses before we go back to the Great Commission. John 20, 21 Jesus said unto them, talking to the disciples, As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. In Luke 1.8, we know, as uh, he says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the wor world. And, and he said, You will be, not you may be. You can be if you feel like it, if you don't have something better. He said, no, you, if you're my people, you will be my witnesses. In fact, truth of the matter is, folks, once you take on the name of Jesus Christ, once you step out and say, I am willing to be identified with him, you are a witness. And the world knows you. And they know what you have said. And so you become a, a, a good, strong witness by living a life that's pleasing unto him or you become a witness that uh, looks uh, in ridicule and people can make uh, comment that uh, you're not living your witness out. 
But the mission is clearly stated, clearly, clearly, in the passage we call the Great Commission. And again, we'll put that back up on the screen so they can see that. Uh, the Great Commission, if you'll get back. There we go. We'll notice Jesus. I love how he gave us the clearness of the message. It is to go. That means seeking. We're to go. Be busy about looking. We're to make disciples. What is making the disciple? That is salvation. That is witnessing. When a person becomes a disciple, they've been born again. He had, it is baptizing them. That is bringing them into the local body of Christ and is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And the church is, the Sunday school is just the church organized. Organized to do what? To do the work of the church. Virtually every evangelical church recognizes that passage of scripture as their mission statement. And it ought to be the mission statement for the Sunday school as well. Because we're just the church in our working clothes, as R.G. Lee once said. And so the church is, uh, the Sunday school is the church organized to do the work. And through the Bible study, we have a strategy that works every time it's tried. It is for all ages, from preschool through adults, ministering to them, sharing with them age-appropriate messages that help them understand. My friend, Sunday school hasn't quit working. We've quit working Sunday school. And every time we employ it, every time we try it, it works. Now, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? We're going to have an invitation hymn here in just a moment. And I want you to think in your own heart. First of all, just look inside your own soul. Make sure if there's not anyone in here, if there is someone in here who honestly could say, I've never received Christ as my Savior, then you need to get right with Christ. That's the first step. If you are a believer, make sure you're living it. Make sure you're testifying for Him. Make sure that's on your heart and burden for them. And then earnestly be obedient. Be willing to serve. Come to Brother Wayne. Come to Brother John. Ask them if you can be of service. Brother Wayne, if you'll come, we'll have our hymn of invitation. Let me just offer a quick prayer as you come. Father in heaven, we pray, God, that you will minister to each and every one that's in the room. We pray, God, that you'll speak to our hearts and help us to know your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.